Let's address the Bible this evening. Let's talk about some of these situations that come up. We're going to be in Ephesians. Sometimes we get bad news. Pastor Art gave the group this morning some very bad news. He met the young man at the door. He introduced himself. He's Pastor Art. I'm Wes Ferson. I'm from the Bob Jones team. Pastor Art said, this is great. We love to have you here. We uh, understand you're going to be here for this evening service. And at that point, Wes about fainted because he was thinking, oh, no, we really screwed up. We're not supposed to be here right now this morning. We're to be somewhere else. He is praying against you, brother, in precatory prayers. Other people get bad news. CNN reports about a family that got some really bad news. This little boy, his name is Jesse Matlock, went in for surgery because he had a lazy eye. They went in for surgery, and they were going to do the corrected surgery on the right eye. When it was all done, the doctor came out and said, I'm really sorry. I made a major mistake. I corrected his left eye, which was the good eye. And the parents there, if you read through or go through, the mother saying, say that again? That was bad news. Bad news for the family that out in California, one of their family members was missing. When in the hospital, all of a sudden their family member who was a patient in the hospital was missing for a couple days. They found the patient, had gotten up, gotten into a stairwell and collapsed there and passed away, but nobody found the person for a couple days. That's bad news. That's shocking news. Here's the bad news and shocking news that happens to our church, to our Christian community. Another Christian family has hit the rocks. Does it ever happen? Yes. Should it happen? By the grace of God, we'd hope it's not, it's not happening. But does it happen where all of a sudden marriages are colliding and all of a sudden homes are breaking up? It does. So what we want to do is address that. But let's, if we're going to address it, we have to step back and say, wait a minute, why does it happen? There are several reasons why these things happen. One is because we're all sinners. And as sinners, we're coming into the family unit, we're getting into this marriage, and we're sinful. We're by nature selfish. We struggle with that. We struggle with being, being gracious and forgiving somebody. We struggle with not getting our way. And then it's compounded because not only do I bring my sin nature into my marriage, but my wife brings hers. And now we have double. And then all of a sudden, we birth these sinful kids. Okay? And we add to it. Let's, let's think about this. We have an enemy. Our homes struggle. Our homes are are afflicted. Why? We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. We have an enemy who wants to destroy all that God has put together that's good. We have an enemy who wants to divide couples, wants to divide parents from their children, who wants to divide God from us. He accuses us to get God to pull back his grace. We also know this, that we often, this is our, our burden of it, our fault. We often carry into our marriages, into our families, into our parenting, we carry things that we saw, things that happened to us, things that we experienced. And without evaluating them, we typically we become like our parents. That's a scary thought, is it not? That all of a sudden I start duplicating some of these things. And that happens to us. And that's what the Bible talks about, that, that issue that we need to be careful. We need to prove what is acceptable to the Lord. We've got to reevaluate, not just the way you were disciplined as a child, but is it according to the Word of God? Not the way your parents got along, but is the way you treat your spouse, is it according to the Word of God? And evaluate that. There's something else that is really attacked families and becoming more and more because media is at so much at our disposal, Right? You can watch movies anywhere, everywhere. Typically, movies portray love as getting in bed. 
Typically, movies, films, and this isn't new to this modern age. This has been happening for, for ages that the husbands are usually portrayed as the bumpkin or the parents not being the smart ones and the kids have the answers. And sometimes we understand that's the case. When all of a sudden I want something done with this device, I don't figure it out. I hand it off to somebody younger. Okay, so I understand that there's limitations, but in our culture, there's almost a, a permeation of a thinking that says, you know, there should be deceit in the marriage. It's okay to hide things. And this isn't just modern. I mean, I Love Lucy was filled with deceit, was it not? That whole concept to the point that we think it's funny. We think this is normal, not talking and being open and not, to, not you know, saying, hey, I spent this much money. It's okay to lie to the spouse. Because it's been going on for generations, portrayed within, before us, and we find it acceptable. Here's another reason that we have battles. We have such high expectations. We have such high hopes. We have such, I, I know what Deb is supposed to do. And I expect her to do her part. But it's okay when I don't do my part. My high expectations are where the kids should be living and where she should be doing things. But then I can so easily excuse what I do wrong and never apologize, never take responsibility, never say it was me. But my expectations become to a point that I'm clouded and blinded. All those things work together to make it really tough. So what we wanted to do in this whole series is talk about how do we work with families. Let's talk about this this evening. How to get your spouse to appreciate you more. There's some very simple, practical ways to go about this. We need to talk about communication. That'll work. And we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. We need to talk about becoming less self-focused. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But let's talk about this, okay? If you want to be appreciated more, you need to be the person that God wants you to be. Well, the reason I say that is this. It's tough to love someone that you don't respect. It's tough to respect someone who doesn't do their part. But when you and I say, okay, what is my role? What am I supposed to be doing? And we do what God asks us to do and become the person and do the things that we're supposed to be doing, then respect is increased by our spouse. And if the respect is increased, it is easier to love and appreciate that person. So the question we have tonight goes back to this. What am I supposed to do? I know we need to talk to the kids, and we will. We need to talk to the pair as parents, and we will. But tonight, just let me go off target here and talk this way. In Ephesians 5, he starts talking about that whole aspect of the home all into chapter 6, and he starts with the husbands and wives. And what he does is he says to the husbands and wives in verse 21, he says that, or jump down in the path, not verse 21 of... Yeah, verse 21, I'm right. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. That word literally means fulfill your, take your place, fulfill your responsibilities, fall in rank, do what you're supposed to do. And then he starts launching off and saying, okay, what is the assignment? And he starts talking to the wives first, ladies first. Here we go. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives, even as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes, cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. 
But I speak concerning Christ and the church, and nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence the husband. Let's, let's just take that and be real practical this evening. You've studied this. Last time we did this as a group, it was in 2013, we talked about what are the roles of the husbands and wives. Let, let's just talk on a couple of those this evening. Okay? What is, the, what is the husband supposed to do so that his wife would appreciate him more? The first thing we want to point out is he needs to be a godly leader. You're to be the godly leader in the home. What that means is this, okay? Based on these texts, the husband is the head of the wife. Let the wife be subject. The head of the woman is the man. We read it as well. Wives submit to the husbands. That the, as the church is subject, so let the wives submit. So that the younger woman, they should be taught to be obedient or submissive to the husbands together. The husband leads, the wife follows. That's the principle. Now, how does that look? How does that work out? What does male leadership in the home look like? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't look like for sure. According to the Bible, okay, we'll make these comments, it is not done this way because of the fall. This isn't, this order in the home is not because sin entered the human race. This order was designed before there was sin in the human race. As well, let's make this point, okay? God isn't saying this is a cultural thing. This is from the 1800s or the 1700s or the 60s and doesn't apply to us anymore. That's not true. This is a non-cultural, this is a creation order, a creation design. I know it's not popular. Man, this is so unpopular. It is rejected. I told you about the wedding we were, we were talking about a couple of years ago, doing a wedding, and somebody wanted to rent another building to do the wedding in that church because it was a beautiful little chapel, but they couldn't do the wedding unless I would sign a statement that said that there is no leader in the marriage that both partners are totally equal. Otherwise, we couldn't use that building. I couldn't do the ceremony there. There's no way I'm going to sign that because okay, that's not what the Scriptures teach. Okay? Yes, is there, is there a working together? Yeah, 51, 49% if you want percentages. You know, something like that. So what he goes on, and we want to make this thing, and this is so important. This, is, this idea of wives submitting and men leading, this is not a bad thing. This doesn't say that the wife is inferior. I want to remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where it says in the text, I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, the head of Christ is God. Watch what he does in this verse. To remind you about this. As the father in his relationship to Christ, this passage says that one is the, is the head over the other. And yet at the same time, Christ is fully God. But by order of working together in the Godhead to have orderliness... One was leading, one was submitting. And then again, that very text, he says, this is the way it's supposed to be with husbands and wives. As the husband and wife, the head of the wife is the husband. And as, as such, she's equal to man. I understand there's the, there's the differences, the physically and in possibly in the bone structure and all those different areas. But this isn't a passage saying that ladies are inferior. This, is, this text isn't saying that you're less of a person by submitting and following. In fact, this is a very godlike activity or relationship that in, for orderliness sake, somebody leads and the others follow. That's in the Trinity, so it can't be something bad. That's in the Trinity. It doesn't come out of the results of consequences of sin. It is in the Trinity to have orderliness, and he says, mimic that in your home. One is going to lead, the other is going to follow. Now, let's go back to what we were talking about and remind you that, men, you're under Christ. 
Therefore, you have the responsibility to take the leadership, to provide the leadership. That doesn't mean you make all the decisions, that you have to make all the decisions. It doesn't mean that you never have to listen to your wife. If you are smart, if you are wise, you will use her abilities, her gifts, her wisdom, her talent in areas of household management, in areas of relating to the kids, and you will deeply rely upon her. It doesn't mean, okay, well, let's flip to the positive. It does mean this, and I think this is practical outworking of leadership. After discussions, somebody's got to make a decision. And they're not always easy to make, but somebody's got to make the decision. Guys, that's your role. Let's talk about this. The decisions that you make have to be best for the whole family. Not for your schedule, not for what you want, but for the whole family. That's leadership. Leadership is looking out for the needs of the whole family and saying, I'm making decisions to protect my family. See that she's not overwhelmed or the kids aren't overburdened. That I'm going to protect them, I'm going to care for them. That's leadership. Leadership is providing in that way. That you are saying, okay, I'm leading in this home. I'm not pressuring. I'm not dominating, dictating, abusing the person. But rather, I'm providing loving leadership that protects, that guides, that makes the decisions, that takes some of the burden off of her. Protection. Need to talk about proper protection. Here's where it really comes down to where the rubber meets the road. Leadership is providing an example. An example of how to respond to situations, how to handle the difficulties, not just to blow off steam, not to lose your temper, not to squeal the tires and get out of there, but rather provide leadership of trying to resolve the conflicts, trying to resolve the issues, the pressures. That's leadership. Leadership in a godly way is the one that overseeing that everything is provided for financially. Making sure that there is physical provisions here. Making sure your family is spiritually provided for. Making sure that there's emotional stability in that home. That those who have a greater emotional need, you're going to have to address that. That you're going to help, okay, let's take care of the needs socially. Let's make sure we're doing it in a way. Leadership is, is guiding, directing, protecting that says, okay, socially, we need to protect so our family is doing that which is right. We don't let things into our home. We don't let uh, relationships into our home that could adversely affect us. Leadership is doing this. It is giving the best possible direction for your family. Remember how in the, in the qualifications for somebody in ministry, the qualification is one that doesn't rule his own house. He's not worthy of ruling in the church. The word rule is kind of unfortunate that in our language in modern English because it doesn't mean the one that's making all the decision. It's literally the one giving direction to. If you can't give direction to your family, then how do you give direction to a bigger body, the family of Christ? And so it's giving direction to. It's giving management. It's giving, giving some, some guidance. It's utilizing. Here's what good, godly, loving leadership is. Utilizing the gifts and the talents that are there in the home. Not ignoring them but appreciating them and saying that, that her skill set, the kid's skill set, that they can contribute. Here's where they can, they can use their gifts, and here's how I can help foster them, the gifts that the Lord has given them. That's spiritual leadership. That's loving leadership. It's becoming an active participant. It isn't going in the garage and hibernating in there and working on the car, and the whole family is living their own life while you're busy. That's not leadership. That's abdication. Leadership is being involved. Leadership is taking the time to sit down and listen when there are those struggles and those battles and those needs to try to help, to try to give direction to finding a solution. 
It's not putting your head in the sand and saying, well, I'll just leave that up to the rest of the family and the family will go and we'll just, we'll, you know, my dad was never involved in my life. My dad just worked the 80 hours a week and he was a, you know, he provided for us. We don't have any relationship with him, but he did the dad thing and that's what dads do. That is not what godly dads do. Godly dads get involved. Godly dads train their children in spiritual things. They don't leave it up to somebody else. They are an active participant in, their, in making sure that their marriage is solid and strong and growing. We need to remember this, that you need to give clear instructions when they're needed. You don't say whatever. Do what you want to do. And then when she does, you get mad because she's doing what she thought you, you wanted to do. It's giving answers. It's giving direction as needed. It is being involved in providing and realizing the responsibility of the family where it's at spiritually. It falls on you guys. The responsibility for the state of your marriage, a lot of it falls on you, gentlemen. What are you doing to foster that? How are you building that? That's godly leadership. That's what this text is demanding from you. Well, in the text, and the same thing, you know, when we ask ourselves, okay, you know, how does this flesh out? We could say, okay, when you're asked for answers, do you give them? It's tough to give answers sometimes. I'd rather say to Deb, whatever you want to do, whatever. But no, at times there's got to be a decision made and making those decisions. It's setting an example for the people to follow. You start thinking this, setting an example for spiritual matters. That's leadership. How to speak to one another. How to address one another in the home. That's leadership. Leadership is how to handle bad situations. And you're portraying that for your kids, for your spouse, that here's how we're going to handle bad situations. Here's how, we're going to con- here's how you're going to control your temper. That's leadership. Is providing for them ways to control how to handle that temptation to just get mad, to rip on somebody else, being honest. Leadership is showing them how to forgive offenses and not to hold grudges. How are you doing in that area? How's that working out, guys? That's what you're supposed to be doing as the leader in the home. So when you start putting this and fleshing this out, do you provide the leadership in the instruction and the, in, the, in regards to the discipline of the kids? For us, this was our thought, is my wife ends up during the day when the kids were little, she ended up with them all the time during the day because I would be at work. When I came home, that leadership responsibility in my mind was I take over the discipline, the correction of the kids so that she's not the heavy. And I can just be the nice guy through the whole evening at home or on that whatever days we had off at that time. But leadership is okay. I want them to understand that what she is doing is something that we have worked together. And I'm going to be the, now it's my role, my turn to provide that and make sure I'm supportive of her. Do you lead in prayer regularly? Do you ever, do you ever get your kids together and pray with them? Do you, do you offer goals for your family? For here's where we're going to go. We got Christmas season. That we all say, hey, it's, it's weeks off. Now is the time as a family to start talking about what are we going to do for the Lord for his birthday? What goals could we establish? What can we do as a family? That's leadership. Leadership is taking the initiative to improve your relationship with members in the family, with your wife. You taking the initiative. It's you to being, being the one to say, okay, here when we have you know, some issues to deal with, I'm going to, I'm going to have to... You know, deal with these and not run from the tension, not run from the problems, but address it. 
Spiritually, you shouldn't be the ones finding the excuses. You should be the ones saying, hey, come on, let's get to worship. That's leadership. Now, in that same vein, the wife has said in these texts that you're supposed to submit. You're supposed to follow the leadership. So guys, you're to provide it, but ladies, you're supposed to follow it. We've read a lot of these verses just a few minutes ago, okay, talking about that. Let, let's see what it's not. Submission is not this. Submission, ladies, is not losing your personal identity. It is not saying, okay, I can never give an opinion. That is not submission, okay? Submission is not oppression. Submission, biblically, is not saying you're inferior, that you are too ignorant to be able to understand what lofty and wonderful things that only men can understand. That's, that is not what this passage is talking about. It is not saying you're of less value, less worth. It is not saying that this is something that you as a lady can pick and choose. Should I submit? Shouldn't I submit? This is a command. This is not optional. Ladies, this is something that's not going to be easy for you. In fact, he mentions it a couple times because it's not easy. So what is it? What is submission? Okay, it's universal. All you wives, this isn't for just the young or the older. Or this is for all of you. It's voluntary. Wives, submit yourselves. You're supposed to willingly do this. The idea is that you submit yourself to your own husband. Okay, you, that he's your focus in this regard. It's to be su- the idea of continuous. Keep on submitting is what he's talking about in this text. The idea in everything, not what you like or what you don't like, but in all general areas of the family and the home, and it's unconditional. The idea isn't, okay, I will submit as long as he agrees to let me do this or let me do that. As long as I can buy this or buy that. That's not the idea. It is allowing your husband to lead, even as we as a church would say, we want Christ to lead us. Do we have, do we have as a church... Do we have the privilege of making decisions? Yes, we do. Are we to be submissive to the Lord? Yes, but that doesn't mean that we can't use our brains and say, hey, we need to do something about insurances. We We have to make some decisions. And God allows that. And yet we want to be submissive to doing what is right and proper before the Lord. So here's what we have is this submission idea. It also is a spiritual activity. As unto the Lord, which obviously means this is, as you're submitting, this is a spiritual activity to the Lord, and the degree of your submission, okay, will directly parallel how submissive you are to the Lord. If you have no spiritual submission to the Lord, you're not going to submit to your husband. That's going to be real difficult, and vice versa, okay? So you submit, and he makes it very clear from scriptures that this is something good for the ladies, Okay, it's going to be beneficial spiritually. It's going to help your marriage. It's going to provide joy. It's going to be, and he's going to appreciate you more. It's going to help your kids by you portraying this and doing this. But he doesn't stop there. We read already that here in this passage, he not only talks about wives submitting, but he mentions down at the end of verse 33 that wives, you are supposed to reverence your husband. The word has this idea, respect. It's, it's the word literally has the idea of phobia. Okay? It's the idea of highly fearing, highly, highly respecting, highly inval- elevating. It is not the idea that I'm afraid of him because he's going to hit me, he's going to beat me. That, we're not talking abusive. But we're talking about a great respect, a great admiration for. And that's what he's saying, okay, here's what we should, the ladies are supposed to have and work on. In fact, he brings up that Sarah, in her respect, showed it by the title, the way she talked to her husband calling him Lord. I'm not advocating that you go home and call him Lord. 
okay? Or master, or you bow down. I'm not, but in that culture, what she did is what, what's being brought up is that she, in that culture, spoke and used titles that were very respectful and very, very proper in the sense that it portrayed that he was very important to her. Now, in our culture, okay, in the way we are today, there are terms that could be used, terms that shouldn't be used. But do you speak to and about your husband in a high form of respect? If not, you need to change. This text is talking about reverencing, speaking properly. It doesn't happen. It's not true if you are really highly critical. It's not true if you're belittling. It's not true if you're constantly finding fault. It's not true if you mock, ridicule, if he becomes the brunt of your jokes when you're with your friends, the ri- disrespect, you know, the, the, the things that you don't want your teens to do, in that respect fashion, you shouldn't be doing to your husband. Okay? You shouldn't be mocking him, tearing him down. There should be a feeling from him that you greatly respect him, and the way you speak to him is a matter of respect. By the way, if I respect somebody, then I'm going to speak to them in polite terms. If I respect somebody, I'm going to not speak with uncontrolled emotions to them. I'm not going to... You know, I want to be careful not only what I say, but the way I say it. So in this area, this gets tough. This gets hard. How do you show reverence to your husband? It would be bragging on him to other people. It would be speaking graciously towards him to him. I do. I appreciate it. When my wife doesn't just say, hey, come here. Like... You know, hey, Rover. <laughs> I appreciate the respect factor that is, hey, can, can you, with a question or with politeness. Okay? That, that to me is, I appreciate that. That makes me appreciate her more when there's that type of speech. Okay? I, and, and I commend Deb on this. She was very, very, very cautious about this, making sure that what she said before the kids was respectful towards me so that they had enough trouble trying to respect me because of the goofy things I would do. So it's a matter of her helping them to be respecting by the way she talked about me when I wasn't around. That's so important. Stop the critical remarks from the kids. They can't, they can't be disrespectful that way. That's wrong. And by you fueling the fire, that's wrong. The, uh, when I say ask him Bible questions, do you realize 1 Corinthians talks about this, verse 14? Why is if you have a question, instead of asking that biblical question in church, you're first of all encouraged to ask it of who? Your husband. Why? You're saying to your husband by saying, hey, I was reading this passage. What do you think it says? What is that, what is that relaying to the husband? You want his spiritual input. You, you, you are respectful enough. You, you value his understanding of scriptures. And he says that's very important. Respect is thanking him, using affirming words, speaking respectfully, politeness and mannerliness in just something so simple that builds appreciation. As the appreciation grows, so does the love factor. So wives, let's ask the questions. Do you let him set the tone for the house, household? Do you let him set the direction for the household? Do you let him answer questions? You're getting into the holidays. Okay? Let's just see how this flushes out. You're getting in the holidays. People are saying, what are you going to do for the holidays? 
Have you already told, ladies, have you already told family and friends what you're doing for the holidays without even talking to your husband about it? Who does all this scheduling? And I know I appreciate that, that my wife does some of the communication, but I appreciate the fact that this isn't about her making our family decisions. It's about us making them together and at times saying when her family contacts, just say, I need to talk to Wayne about it. That's a matter of respect. That's something that, that works. And okay, he gives financial input. Do you follow that or do you still do your own thing just because you know better? Then you wonder why there's tensions. When it comes to your know, conversation, are you supportive of him between family and friends? When a decision is made, okay, no, we're not going to do this. Do you just keep on asking and asking and asking? You know, do you, have you thought about it? Have you changed your mind until he finally gives in? By the way, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of verses in Proverbs that talk about that type of approach. Remember? Living on the, you would rather live on the roof than in the household with somebody that's nagging, 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 like the continual dripping of the water, you know, that water torture. You know, it kind of comes sometimes like, well, why can't we do that? Hey, I was thinking about this. I know we talked about it, but why can't we do that? You know, I know that we talked about it, but why can't we do that? Oh, fine. Just fine. Just go ahead and do what you want. Well, I wonder why he doesn't, you know, he doesn't appreciate me more. Drip, drip, drip. Now, guys shouldn't do this back to you, okay? But what would happen if your husband looked at you and went, drip, drip, drip? Okay. Okay. How do you speak? Yeah. When, you, when this decision is made, do you go to the kid and say, hey, listen, uh, we've, we, you know, we're going to do it different than what dad said. I don't have a problem with that if my wife were to have gone to the kids and said we're going to do it different than what dad had said earlier if we had talked about it before she goes and tells the kids something different. Okay? And so not just cut down. How do you, do you speak about them? How do you talk about them to others? Now remember, this is supposed to be a voluntary attitude of submission. Please don't walk around and go, I'm submitting. Woe is me. God knows I'm married to him. And I, have, I just love Jesus so much that I'm listening to my husband. You've seen that. The reason that we giggle is because probably we're thinking of somebody that we know that does that. All in the name of Jesus. They are suffering so much. If that's your attitude, it's got to change. That, that type of submission is not biblical. It's not spiritual. Because it's supposed to be voluntarily saying, this is what I'm going to do because this is what God assigned me to do. Guys, God has assigned you something else in this text to love your wives. You look at the text, and the text talks about it multiple times. We read it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ. Men, love your wives. Let everyone love his wife. He mentions it three times. Actually, it's commanded in this text these multiple times. This love is not an option, gentlemen. This love, according to this text, let's back up, it's repeated. I'm going to ask you the question again. I remember when we did this on a Sunday morning back you know, in 2013, in the spring of that year, asked you, why do you think God repeats it three times in this text? And some of you said, because men are hard of hearing. Somebody said, because men are just plain hard-headed. Because some said... This is such an important area that God doesn't want the men to miss it. Some said because this is the guy's biggest battle. Oh, yeah, we can put down all these reasons. Why is it repeated? Yeah, 
It's hard to do. It's important. It's the most important thought because some of them weren't doing it to challenge the husbands, but also to encourage the wives. That they know this is what the husband's supposed to be focusing on. Now, let's think if this is comprehensive. What I mean by that is all of you husbands. All of you husbands are to love your wives. It is to be focused on her. That this is your attention. This is, she is going to be the focal point of this love. That even as you do your own bodies, which you give plenty of attention to it, you've got to give that same attention, that same determination towards your wife. That same concentration. It's to be continuous. Keep on loving over and over. Which, by the way, just, just to throw in here, this idea that we fall out of love is a bunch of garbage. This love is controlled. If you can, if God says you're able to control this, the idea is that if you're supposed to do it over and over, be focused. The idea is that this is something, this, com, this passion, this compassion, this commitment that you have, this is something you do control. That you choose whether or not to love your wives. I can't help but I just, you know, I just fell out of love towards somebody else. You might have fallen out of lust, or fallen into lust, but you, the idea is you, we don't fall in and out of biblical love. We choose. We choose. And so in this text, this is wrong, okay? This isn't biblical love to say, okay, okay. I want to, uh, life would be so much better without her, okay? Rather, what we're talking about is Christ-like love. To be Christ-like, has Christ loved the church? So we ask ourselves the question, how did Christ love the church? He loved me, in, and we put terms to it. We could say he loved me, his love towards us was sacrificial. His love towards us was all in all. His love towards us was, throw in words, what would you throw up there? Unconditional. I'm, I'm game here. Never ending, what else? Pardon me? Lavish? Well, that's a good word. We could can, we can throw up all kinds of words. We could say, okay, it was voluntary, unconditional, as you said, unmerited, personal, permanent. We can throw them up, initiated by him, patient. There we have all these different things. This is how our wives are supposed to think and feel that we're loving them, the way Christ loved the church, which is oh, so challenging. So challenging. D- does Christ love you even when you aren't so lovable? Does he love you even when you don't look so lovable? Yeah, well, that's what we're commanded to do. The caring is talked about nourishing and cherishing the wife. The two words are the idea that I'm helping her to come to maturity. I'm helping her to keep warm, feel secure. And so that's part of this, that that she knows that she's being cared for. She feels secure in what we're doing to provide for her. Does your wife feel secure in your relationship, that you appreciate her? Well, I hope so. I do enough. I bring her and give her the paycheck every week. Uh, That's great. That's good. But I think she wants more than your paycheck. I think she wants you. She needs you. Because in most of our cases, she'd be better off if it was just money without us. Insurances? You need to be caring. You need to love her like 1 Corinthians 13. That patient, that kind, that believing all things, that idea of thinking the best, 
not the worst. You need a lover enough that you express your love like Christ loved the church, that he tells us, that he writes the notes, that he gives us the word, that he meets the need. You need a lover enough that you reassure her. You need to love her enough that you don't underestimate the simple things, the touches, the hugs. You need to love her enough that you help her with something, do something, express that love to assist her the way Christ assists us. You need to love her in a way that you listen to her. I'm I'm great at this. (laughs) Go ahead, talk to me while I'm watching the Vikings. What'd you say? Yeah, okay. Oh, first down. Good job. They scored. Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. You're giving me those hairy eyeballs. <laughs> like, you better preach it, brother. That's exactly what happens. Okay. Forgiving her. The idea of encouraging her. I'm getting off this pulpit real quick. Okay. <laughs> Giving time. Okay. The idea of doing something special or unexpected. That is so good for you guys to do for your wives. I am not looking this way right now. <laughs> it's something we need to work at. That you and I, gentlemen, we need to be loving towards our wives. Wives, you need to be admiring towards your husbands. Husbands, you're to provide the leadership. This has really been challenging me of late. Is what happens when all of a sudden there is a tension? When there is a difficult moment? When there is the time pressures? And there is something that grows and says, okay, we've got to address something. There's a problem that's going on. Something broke down. Okay. What would Christ do at this very moment? I'm supposed to love like Christ. How would Christ want me to respond at this moment? What would Christ want me to say? Nothing? Go away? Just ignore it and pretend that nothing happened? What would Christ want me to do? Whatever you come to that conclusion, which I believe the conclusion, if we say, what would Christ have me to do when she's discouraged, when there's a tension between us? I believe Christ would have us to go and address it. Not by a screaming match. Not by pointing out everything that she's done wrong. But by getting and saying, okay, how do we work this together? That's what I'm supposed to do in those moments. Not pout, not hang on to the anger, but to deal with it to talk about it, to make sure that we're right with each other. That's loving like Christ would have us to love. So where do we, where do we stand here tonight? We stand by saying, okay, these are the areas we need to work on. There's more, but these are the ones that are more than enough for us to work on for the next week. Now, the reason we need to work on this is because if you say, well, I'll work on it later on, you might not have a later on. Should I start walking us through different pews in the auditorium right now and say, This person's spouse isn't here anymore. They wish that they could have time with their spouse. But the time is done. God may have taken them home prematurely. And the spouse who is here would amen, amen, men to say, take the moments you have now. Invest in them now. Focus on them now. You say, but it's so difficult. It's so hard. It's so challenging. Remember this. That you have help that is heavenly. That will assist you to submit, to reverence, to love, to lead. If you just go to him every day and say, help me, help me, help me, he'll help you. 
Except the Lord build a house, they that labor, labor in vain. Don't do it on your own, but God will give you the grace to do it.